0: Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me today. MLK Day in 2024. That would be January 15th, 2024. Uh, we're not going to talk about MLK today. We've talked about MLK in the past, and quite frankly, I just I don't think MLK was that interesting of a figure. He was historically significant, but uh, not so relevant, I think, today. So uh, we're not going to spend today talking about that. What I do want to talk about, though, is why so many people are attracted, to progressivism, we see this now with uh, some of the younger generation, and it's constantly. It's like this. You know, I would. I don't think I was ever a progressive. I was a, a, a conservative, a neocon, but I don't think I was ever a progressive. But a lot of young people do start out as progressives, and I just think it's worth thinking about, like, why does that happen? What, what is it that people see in progressivism that is so attractive? And what I want to do is I want to use this interview with Keith Knight. Uh, He was on the Tom Woods show and Keith Knight, most of you are not going to know who Keith Knight is, but he's, he's an up and comer in the Libertarian party. Very young guy, very, uh, he's on there talking about his book, Um, but he's, he's got a, you know, some of these libertarians have really unique ways of demonstrating certain points. And I, and I thought, you know, Keith Knight is, is, uh, it's always useful, I think, to go to someone who used to be a progressive and ask them, Hey, what attracted you to that? Why were you a progressive? You know, and in fact, a lot of this is kind of an odd thing, but a lot of uh, liberals or progressives um, do become libertarians, which is interesting. I think many, many more conservatives become libertarians, but there are, a, it's, it's not an insignificant number of uh, libertarians that started off as, as liberals or progressives. Dave Smith is one who I think of. Now, Dave Smith is, he's, a, he's an awesome commentator. And uh, I, if you haven't ever heard his show, you should go listen to it. It's very, very good. And it's entertaining, too. But Dave Smith started off as a liberal. He's a comic. In fact, you can go to YouTube for free and watch um, Dave Smith's uh, comedy special. It's very funny. Uh, he's, he's a very good comedian. Um, I think if you go to ComicDaveSmith.com, uh, you can find his his um, probably a link. It, it, I think it's on YouTube, but you can probably find a link to his uh, comedy special there at Comic Dave Smith. Um, but I always think about this because one of the reasons I think this is important to, to think about and discuss is because... We need to reach some of these people. These people are going to destroy America. I mean, America's already going to be destroyed, at least financially. Um, I think there's a remnant. uh, You know, Ron Paul said he always was trying to speak to the remnant. You know, the remnant is a a biblical term uh, that that, uh, Isaiah, uh, if you read in, in Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is speaking to the remnant, right? He's just, he's just talking. He's not talking to anybody in particular. But the idea is that his words will land in the remnant's ear and, and that, that will satisfy his, um, oh, his duty uh, to prophesy. Now, Ron Paul used a very similar um, strategy, during his presidential campaigns. He just he got up there and talked about what he saw was truth in the political sense, that, you know, we were using dishonest money and all the problems with that. He talked about blowback and all these foreign interventions and and how some of that is rolling back on us, how 9-11 was was a was a directly related to blowback. He just he just talked what he believed to be true about the world uh, as America is situated in it. And this led to more or less a revolution. I think most people – now, some people in the conservative movement, they don't see the Ron Paul revolution as a revolution. You know, they they, they saw it as kind of a flash in the pan. But I can just tell you that the libertarian – almost uh, – Almost uh, the majority of the growth, uh, the vast majority of the growth in the Libertarian Party over the last twenty-five years was was all due to Ron Paul. And when you when you talk when you when you listen to anybody who's anybody in the in the uh, Libertarian movement today, they all came out of the Ron Paul movement. Now, I I personally did not. I was one of those idiots who thought Ron Paul was an isolationist and there was a lot of things I liked about Ron Paul, but his foreign policy was something I disagreed with. And in retrospect, he was right. And I was very wrong. Um, I'm perfectly aligned with the way Ron Paul thinks about um, our foreign policy, our, our role, the government's role, the military's role, in the world and and the problems that that's causing Uh, not just abroad but for our own citizens Um, a lot of the debt and deficits have to do with this hegemony that we're trying to uh, perpetuate around the world this this empire and uh ron paul was very much on top of that way back in 2007 and so anyway Getting back to the point of this episode, I just think it's important exercise to listen to people who used to be liberals or progressives and kind of ask them, why are you the way you are now? Now, there's some other clips we're going to play in here, too, because because Keith Knight is just I think he's really good at making arguments or explaining things in a way that is effective in reaching people. And I think that's always effective when you're talking about politics and, and political movements because most people don't, they don't really think about it. I mean, they, 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 they basically parrot what the news media says. And and that is not helpful when, when we're going in the wrong direction. So, um, so I want to play a little bit from Keith Knight here. He's going to talk initially about why he became a libertarian? You know, why was he a progressive in the first place? And why and how he became a libertarian?
1: Probably the initial reason was there was a dichotomy in front of me. We have two groups of people, people who want to give you food, clothing, shelter, health care, education. And then there's another group of people who want to charge you for these things. They just create costs out of the thin, you know, blue sky. They They want you to have to work to achieve something, whereas other people want to give it to you. When you're facing this dichotomy, obviously it seems like, well, am I a nice person who's compassionate or am I somewhat of a jerk? So you can almost say, how is it? Maybe, you know, the billionaire class could believe something because they could easily buy this stuff. But how have so many millions of people, half the country more or less, been duped into thinking you should have to buy things instead of getting them for free? So when I was faced with that, I said, well, one, it seems like it's you know much more economically efficient to give people something instead of always having to work. That seems burdensome, and it seems much more compassionate to help or not to help. So uh, that was the dichotomy I was faced with, and that's why I probably joined. I
0: now, as I mentioned, I, I personally have never thought this way. I mean, I always thought that, there, you know, if if something, if somebody created something. Uh, For example, let's say a car. You know, a car is not something just laying in a field ready for somebody to claim it. I mean, real resources, uh, knowledge, and work goes into the production of a vehicle, right? So, there's, it's not something we should just get for free. I mean, I've never... I never really understood that. Now, he's not talking about a car, but he's talking about food and clothing. Same thing with a shirt. You know, somebody had to grow the cotton, uh, spin the cotton into material, cut it out in a pattern, sew it into a shirt. Well, all that all that has to happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's just not like you can just walk around and find clothing on the ground and put it on your body. You know, these are these are resources that that come about by people's know-how, uh, their ingenuity, their investment. Um, essentially, it's what we refer to as the the division of labor. The division of labor. You know, the farmer. There, there's a famous. Uh, let me let me just say this real quick. There's a famous essay by a guy named Leonard Reed, and you should go just go Google it. Maybe I'll put a link into it uh, in the show notes page, but it's, it's called iPencil and it's a very famous essay. And Leonard Reed, basically what he says in iPencil is that no one person possesses the knowledge to produce a pencil. Okay. Now that seems on the surface, you think, oh, come on, you know, a pencil's very simple. Surely, you know, there's somebody that knows how to produce his pencil. But when you when you break it down and you say, okay, well the wood has to be it has to be harvested from a forest, you know, so there's there's a whole industry called forestry that that produces wood. And, you know, there are people that understand forestry, but then the same people that understand forestry don't understand the metal industry, you know, the steel industry, you know, you got that little band that holds the eraser on. And then when you're talking about the eraser, that's made out of a rubber a rubber material. So the same people that know forestry don't know rubber or steel. So all these things have to come together to produce a pencil. Now, you might have a, you know, a rich benefactor who wants to give pencils away for free to people. And that's fine. But the pencil itself doesn't exist in the real world. Somebody, or in this case, a group of people, have to uh, e- expend energy and money and investment, uh, you know, to to create the pencil. And when you look at the lead, that involves mining. Mining involves huge amounts of capital to to produce, uh, you know, to get the stuff that's in the dirt separated from the dirt and actually into a pencil. And so, you know, this is just a lack of understanding that people have about where things come from and, you know, what their their individual claim might be to them, you know. But you can hear um, uh, Keith Knight talk about this. Yeah, there's some people that want to give things away for free and these other people over here, they want to charge thing, you know, charge money for them. And so it just seemed to me like the people that want to give away things for free, those are the people that I should be aligned with because they seem like nicer, more empathetic people. And, and the problem with this, obviously, is that uh, they're not nicer and more empathetic people because what they want to do is they want to commandeer or they want to take over the means of, of those things that are produced. The healthcare thing uh, is, a, is a great example because you got people like uh, Bernie Sanders who say, well, healthcare is a right. Well, how can that be? How can healthcare be a right when there's doctors, there's nurses, there's all this medical equipment, there's all this stuff involved in delivering healthcare? And it all costs money. And, and and forget about all the things that, that cost money. What about the time? What about the doctor's time? You know, a doctor has certain knowledge. And if if healthcare is a right, that means we can put a gun to the guy's head and say, you know, heal me. You know, you need to heal me. I have a right to health care. Well, you know, the truth is you don't have a right to anybody's labor uh, or anybody's property. That that's the truth of the matter, and and the government standing up, and 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 saying that that you do, and garnering political votes so that we can uh, get a fifty-one percent majority to commandeer all these things from people, that doesn't make it legitimate. And so, I understand that it's a nicer message, you know, that things should be for free, but. I mean, just go drop somebody in the middle of the Amazon forest and say, and and just tell them, Hey, everything here is for free and see how long they survive. (laughs) I mean, you know, you're not going to live very long in the Amazon forest where everything is free, but there's nothing that you, that you can use, right? You have to, you have all that free stuff. You have to turn it into things, to tools, uh, weapons to hunt animals, or to trap animals, or whatever you you have to turn all that into something that you can use to help you survive in that forest. And this is just, for whatever reason, this escapes people. And uh, I always think it's interesting though to to hear from people about the way they think about things. So so Keith is Keith Knight knows all this now. You know, he's learned his lesson. But there's something about being young, and he's still young. But there's something about being young that just brings people into these ideas where they're like, "Why do we even need money? You know why do we why do we have all these Why does everything cost money? You know, why can't we just have things for free? And uh, you know, this is why, because nothing you wouldn't find anything of value that's actually free, other than the air you breathe and the water maybe you drink. But everything else that's for free, it's not useful. Somebody has to turn it into something useful in order for you to be able to use it.
1: Also have to say, growing up in, uh, I was in Phoenix, Arizona my whole life. I went to school here and often thought of as a red or purple state, but the, the schools that I went to were extremely blue. So I was always having in the back of my mind that America, good place now, however, uniquely Uh, bad because of slavery and because of things like Jim Crow. So when we saw this name on the ballot, Barack Obama, we were all excited that this has to be the guy we support. This is the major hurdle that we're finally getting over this terrible, racist, sexist, xenophobic past of ours by electing this, this guy. So it was both the thought of, you know, we're really achieving something. I'm really part of something unique in uh, the rear view mirror of history, uh, as it'll be seen by getting this guy elected. And it's the compassionate philosophy. Those are the main reasons I was attracted to it.
0: This narrative about America being uniquely evil because of slavery is, is ridiculous. I mean, the entire world had slavery um at the time America did. In fact, it, I mean, just read the Bible. go, go back 2,000 years, they talk about man servants and woman servants. Those are slaves. Um, the Jews themselves were slaves in Egypt. That's what the story of Exodus is about is about, uh, or if you've ever seen the Ten Commandments and um, Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh, it's all about where the Jews were living in Egypt and, and were slaves. And God made a pathway for them to leave Egypt. I mean, slavery was just the condition of the world. You know, this is it's an interesting point, really, because I see this all the time or I hear this all the time where people judge um, something that happened in the past As if it were to happen today. Like, yes, slavery is gone today. But most of these people criticizing slavery, had they lived 2,000 years ago, would be just like people 2,000 years ago. Well, well, this is the way it is, you know. They wouldn't think anything about it. But somehow people think it's okay to judge the past as if it's happened or happening today, and this is something I see over and over and over uh, with the left. They have no concept of history, or um, or what life was like in the past. I mean, they you know, life in the past was not with cell phones and automobiles and airplanes, and you know, it was grinding poverty. And yes, there were slaves. Some people were subjugated for the benefit of other people. Um, but, it, but interestingly enough, he, he, was, he was he saw Barack Obama as, as, a, as a way to put that past behind America. And a lot of people did, by the way. A lot of people saw Obama that way. But I, I got to tell you, I think part of what we're living through today, is very much because of Barack Obama. Uh, Barack Obama was a very divisive person, and I think sneaky behind the scenes uh, when it came to race. And I, I really, I mean, I have no evidence of this, but I really think he's running things now, even though he's no longer president. I think he's basically the guy behind the curtain. And so... A lot of people were duped by Obama. I mean, I even felt you know like, wow, you know, a black president, that's something, you know that's that's something to be achieved. But how could, you know just just by that simple fact, right, how could how could America still be racist you know, electing a black president? You know, fifty-three percent of white males voted for Barack Obama. So I just don't understand the whole America as a racist society, when in you know in two thousand eight America elected a black president, and then and then that that effort or that uh, opportunity was squandered, I think, by by Obama. Every race thing that came up. He took it. He took it as an opportunity to um, to essentially um, say what he wanted to say about race. I remember when uh, the police in Boston did something, and he came on TV. It was a white cop, and he said the guy acts, acted stupidly, and you know. And then there was a beer summit or whatever afterwards. I mean, he was always getting right in the middle of things like that. He didn't need to get in the middle of things like that. But anyway, I, you know, Keith Knight is talking about how he saw Barack Obama as a way to put all this racism and xenophobia and this checkered past of slavery behind us with the election of Barack Obama. And I think a lot of people saw it like that. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, of progressives that felt very proud when Barack Obama was elected. That's not uncommon. Uh, But notice that Keith Knight has done a 180. He he totally knows that he's been duped at this point. And uh, the other thing to mention is is Keith Knight is much younger than me, but, uh, you know, and so school – I don't know what it's like to be in school today, but I do get the sense that America is being slandered in public schools. You know, there's there's people learning some um, oppressive, you know, oppressor and oppressed type history of America, and that's not what's unique about America. Like, if you're going to learn about America. It, it, it's not helpful, I don't think, for free people anyway, to learn that America was oppressive. Every government everywhere is oppressive. Okay, what was unique about America is that it was founded in liberty, conceived in liberty, as Murray Rothbard's uh, great, no, uh, golly, five volume. Uh, history on America is 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 called it's called conceived in liberty, and that's what's unique about America. Not the fact that we had slavery, that was very common around the world. Um, I think, I think Great Britain only got rid of slavery about twenty years before we did, but we felt like we needed to kill six hundred thousand people to do it. So there's just something. I think that the schools, there's a role that the schools play in all this that's that's not helpful. You know, the oppressed and the oppressors story. And I think Keith Knight probably suffered from that somewhat, as do uh, a lot of young people uh, growing up in the public school system today.
1: Well, one of the moments was watching the Glenn Beck show where he brought up the uh portion of the Affordable Care Act, another great thing. They're making it affordable, just more generosity. And he said that there's something called the individual mandate. This is where people, whether they want to or not, are required to purchase health insurance for themselves. Now, I remember thinking, well, people probably should do that, and they probably should eat healthy, exercise, be good neighbors, dress nice. Well, just because someone should do something, I don't think they should be forced. So this was the first time I ever considered that here is the difference between civilization and some sort of barbarism or tyranny where you have the right to claim ownership over other people. So that was the first time that it uh, really occurred to me. I got to say getting that first paycheck and seeing the uh, involuntary deductions, that was uh, pretty surprising.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the Affordable Care Act had that impact on a lot of people, uh, anybody who's spending any time thinking about it. You know, wh- you know, he, he brings up a good point. You know, there's a lot of things you should do, right? If you have a family, you should probably buy life insurance. If you, uh, if you, uh, you know, if you're an adult, you should probably pay for health insurance. But just because somebody should do something doesn't mean they always do it. Now, the problem in America... Is we it, we're a very generous nation anyway, right? So if you don't have health insurance, but you should have gotten it, you know, the hospital will will help you out anyway. But they're also going to send you a bill, and um, and and you know that's the way it is in America. So, but I think a lot of people probably. I know there was a lot of discussion during the Affordable Health Care Act about what the government could and couldn't make you do, you know, and the arguments before the Supreme Court were, you know, suppose the government wants to make you eat broccoli, you know, does the government have the power to make individuals eat broccoli? And, um, you know, they, some of these ridiculous arguments. At the end of the day, what they decided the individual mandate was was a tax, and the government essentially has the power to tax anything and everything it wants to tax. Uh, now, this isn't the way it was always in America. This is a relatively new thing. Uh, you know, some of the some of the uh, some of the most egregious things we got uh, that that are that are plaguing America today happened during the early 20th century, beginning with Woodrow Wilson and then later with uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. So, you know, but this is going on for a long time. Now, the other thing he mentions is just the involuntary extraction of money from your paycheck, right? So here you are, you're young, you want some money in your pocket so you can go to the movies, maybe take a girl out on a date or something like that. And you get a job, right? And you you figure out how much you're going to make per hour, and you add it all up. You do the math, and you're like, "Wow, I'm going to have five hundred dollars." And then the end of the week comes, and you actually earn three fifty. Where did the other hundred fifty go? Oh, well, the government just decided to. That was uh, that was their money. That was that was the uh, patronage that you had to pay for the privilege of being an American. And working in America. And the the reality is a lot of these things don't happen until you run headlong into these examples, until you get a job, until you try to go do something, um, until you try to um, uh, go work somewhere or start a business or whatever. This is when you figure out that the state is very much in your way.
1: But also when I was 14, I started my own uh, landscaping business. And the more we grew, the more difficult it was. I was 14 and the other guy was 16. And we would just go around and basically uh, offer our services to uh, mostly parents of the people who we went to school with. We're ver- earning very little amounts of money. And every time we tried to do something legitimate, the amount of bureaucracy was staggering. We'd have to go to uh, this place with uh, my coworkers. Mother, we had to start filling out things. We had to start declaring our income. And then I had to lie about my age, which I got caught, and that ended up blowing up the whole thing. And so I think those were the initial things that I personally came into contact with, which really made me start uh, questioning things that I had supported.
0: Yeah. You know, if you just get out there and do something, you're going to run into the state. You're going to bump into the state, uh, and they're going to tell you, you have to do this, or you have to do that, or you have to fill this paperwork out, or You have to get some permission from some bureaucrat somewhere. It's the people that are not doing anything that don't realize that there's all these barriers uh, to work, to doing, to you achieving the ends that you want to achieve in your life. And, you know, look, young kids usually don't do very much and they're in school and they've got very progressive instructors and I mean this is why it's so important that you know if if we're going to have a public school we need to have some sort of agreement on what the students are learning right um I can't remember some famous total it might have been Joseph Stalin you know uh, essentially said something like you know you can you can tell what a society is going to be like by by uh, uh, figuring out who gets to teach the children, and you know the the fact is we have state run schools, and so there's opportunities to indoctrinate young young children to think like Keith Knight thought here when he was young, but as you can see if you're if you're someone who's ambitious and you want to get out there and you want to do something, you want to make your mark in the world, you're gonna run into the to the state. That's just the nature of it. So uh, anyway, I thought it would be I thought it was just a good idea to kind of just investigate this this whole what is so attractive about progressivism and liberalism. And when I say liberalism, I really mean progressivism. And uh, I think this story is very common. I'm, I think if you if you've got friends out there that are liberals, this is probably their story too. Um, that the state, you know, the way, especially the way the Democrats sell it, is just a kinder, gentler, you know, state under Democratic control than it is under Republican control. Republicans somewhat understand that you know there's no such thing as a money tree. And there's production, there's labor, there's, you know, even the Bible, you know, look, even the Bible says, if you don't work, you shall not eat, you know, so work is a good thing. And just because the government can print up a bunch of pieces of paper and give them to people for nothing, doesn't mean that they should do that. Certainly, this is not good for individual liberty. All right, well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show this evening. Thank you for coming in. I hope that was a interesting subject for you, something to talk about uh, among friends. And um, join me tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, and we'll have another interesting – in fact, I'm going to play some Keith Knight. I'm going to play several, uh, several of the upcoming episodes are going to be Keith Knight because he has such a good way of – explaining the, the the negative, you know, the downside of having this all-powerful state. He's got some really good examples, and uh, so we're going to play a couple of, um, a couple of our episodes are going to have more Keith Knight, so, and go out and get Keith Knight's book, it's Why I Left Progressivism, um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes page, and I'll put a couple of links in the show notes page for you. Uh, the interview with Tom Woods, um, uh, his book, Keith Knight's book, and uh, there was one other link I was going to put in there, and I'll have to, oh, I Pencil by Leonard Reed. So look for those in the the show notes or, you know, down below on the episode notes, and uh, come back tomorrow and listen. And if you do, I'll be here to do it all over again. Peace.